Paul Capon here from Manufacturing Leaders. I'm here with uh, Chuck Luttrell, um, former uh, plant executive with the Toyota Senior Leadership Team um, and Principal um, Senior Consultant with the Bright Edge Consulting Group. Uh, Chuck, uh, great to have you with us. Thank you. It's my pleasure. Perfect. And and I think the, the first question around everybody's minds will be, um, you know, about your career and the, the successes you've had within the lean community. Um, just, just tell us a little bit about yourself and your journey to becoming a lean ex- uh, executive. Okay. Um, well, actually, I was very fortunate to be chosen uh, one of the early employees at the Toyota Motor Manufacturing Plant in Georgetown, Kentucky. Uh, that was back in February of 1988. I, I joined there as a production team leader. Um, I was responsible for myself and a, a team of five other individuals, and uh, I started on a chassis line. Uh, we put on brake and fuel tube assemblies, fuel filler pipes, rack and pinion steering, uh, body moldings, just the various uh, parts of the car that went under the chassis. Um, but I, as I said, I was very fortunate. I was like employee 536 out of 3,500, the original 3,500 there. Wow. And uh, I was one of the youngest team leaders ever chosen, if not the youngest team leader ever chosen uh, for a Toyota facility. I was 20 years old. Um, and I promptly uh, got to go and spend a, a month living in Japan, going and, you know, getting basic training at a Toyota motor plant. And, uh, you know, it was very, very interesting. Uh, from there, I promoted to uh, being a, a frontline supervisor called a group leader at Toyota. It's the first line of management uh, in, the, in the Toyota system. Uh, from there, I was promoted to an area manager, uh, then to a project manager, then a production manager. Uh, various places, the, one of them being in the TPS office. I was there for three and a half years uh, there in Georgetown. Uh, and then from there, I went into the paint department as a production manager. Uh, and then in 2012, I was, uh, no, I'm sorry, 2007, excuse me, 2007, I was promoted into the executive ranks. Um, that's when, you know, you become an assistant general manager and a project manager and, or project general manager, excuse me, and, and then a department head. So, um, that's, you know, it was a five to six promotions, uh, various departments. Again, I was in the TPS office. I was in the uh, final assembly department. Uh, I was in the production control area and then I was in the paint department as well. Very, various places. Uh, so that happened over a span of a 25 year career. Uh, I was in all those places in within Toyota. Awesome. And, and, a, and a really interesting background too. Um, you know, throughout your time at Toyota, what was the, the one thought that occupied your mind on a day-to-day basis? On a day-to-day basis, the absolute thing was how to be better than yesterday and that just how to be a little bit better, right? But there was no doubt that every day when you showed up to the plant and every day when you showed up to carry out your responsibilities, the intention was to show up and be better than you were the day before. So this is really the spirit or the essence of a continuous improvement culture. Uh, it doesn't matter if you're the janitor or if you're a chairman of the board. Every day when you show up, you got you have to be a little bit better than you were the day before. Mm. Perfect. And and what are some of the the major successes that you you saw when you were at Toyota? You know the the thing that I saw was uh, I'll never forget. 
uh, we had been there for 10 years, uh, you know, and we were having a real a celebration. There were several dignitaries came. Uh, a gentleman named Fujio Cho was there, just a fantastic human being. Of course, one of the Toyota family was there. Uh, the, the governor of Kentucky who had helped negotiate the deal and had won the plant to come to Kentucky, she was there. Uh, anyways, there was just this big, big celebration. During that celebration, uh, I recall Mr. Cho standing up and having a very solemn look on his face and congratulating us on 10 years, but also looking at us and saying, it's time to become self-sufficient. It's time for you to grow up. And, you know, people were clapping and cheering. And uh, I remember leaning over to my colleague and I said, I don't believe we should be clapping and cheering. We just got a challenge. And we're nowhere close to being self-sufficient at the moment. So fast forward, fast forward from that point, another five to seven years. And we were in a major model launch, uh, a major model launch of the Camry. And I recall our metrics being on par with our mother plant in Japan. And that was a, a great accomplishment for us to, uh, to really indicate that we had started becoming self-sufficient and that, you know, we were representing the Toyota way, the Toyota business practices and utilizing the Toyota production system in such a way that we did not need substantial guidance or substantial influence from Japan. We were truly becoming self-sufficient. Yeah. And I think what, what most people think when they, they see Toyota in the West, um, is, is is something that's been, that's been you know gone to, gone you know been perfected to over a number of years um and they've always been you know the the lean culture but actually that that story you just told illustrates that it was a journey for you guys too oh absolutely absolutely and if you were to visit there today you would see things that they can improve upon and if you were to talk to the president of the plant there today and you ask him how they were doing i have a very very strong feeling he would look at you and he'd say we're doing okay but we have many things we still need to improve upon. Mm. Perfect. And, and, and you've also touched on, uh, you know, the differences between, you know, the lean in, in the East where it originated and also in the West um, where you are now, where Toyota and a number of other big automotive companies have, have really taken this on board. Also other companies outside of manufacturing too. Um, what would you say are, are, the, are the main differences between, um, you know, those two environments, the East and the West, when it comes to implementing a lean culture? No, it's a fantastic question. The, the primary difference is that it's, and I don't say this to be insulting, so I, I want to say this the correct way, but in the West or outside of Japan, however you want to say it, is that activities often seem like they're a check the box or it's that, okay, just give me the tool, let me use the tool, and that almost like the tool is going to be a magic bullet. Like, we'll use the tool, we'll complete an activity, and we're finished. And then when the activities don't sustain, or when the result was not obtained that had been desired, people have become frustrated. And the tendency is then, okay, lean doesn't work. Or this continuous improvement culture that we're looking for is that, oh, that works, that works over there, but that doesn't work here. And my strong advice uh, in, 
and really I just want to compel people to understand that's not true. Everything that we they do in Japan can be done outside of Japan and be done equally as well. It's just a matter of understanding this is a long view. It's a system. It's a never-ending journey. Mm-hmm. And that once people see that and they accept that, then they have to become uh, resilient to not fall into the trap of change fatigue or not being patient enough to just keep working the system and recognizing that a good process will deliver good results, but that if we overreact to results and don't look at the process first, then we're going to continually be disappointed. We're going to chase the wrong thing. Yeah, and and you also touch on on self-sufficiency as well. Um, you'll hear a number of organizations who, who are obviously global um, and trying to implement a global lean strategy. What kind of advice would you, you give to companies based on your experience at Toyota um, in terms of becoming self-sufficient? Um, so self-sufficient means you're self-sufficient within the system. It doesn't mean that you're self-sufficient to go and operate under your own devices mm-hmm. at a general locale there's a big confusion there uh you know the one thing that i always talk to people about is the collective wisdom that was at toyota and that may very well be a cultural aspect that's hard to uh, replicate or duplicate outside of japan but it's it's hard not impossible but it all starts with having a shared vision a set of common purpose you know uh, a set of guiding principles and then you know a strategy that everyone can easily understand and can articulate so once you have this shared vision common purpose guiding principles a strategy that everyone can easily understand and articulate then we're all truly pulling in the in the same direction and that that's one of the things that people have a a more difficult time replicating and when you say though i'm going to be self-sufficient Again, you're self-sufficient in the context of those things, not self-sufficient in that you're a standalone entity that you get to operate however you want to. Yeah, and, and, and organizations, um, we, we spoke about it earlier, where you'll have guys who are trying to implement these guiding principles and these new behaviors. Um, they might say, you know, the resistance is too much, it's too grand of a project, for example, and they become failed lean transformations. What advice can you give to these the people who have this kind of mindset? The the first thing, Paul, and, and I, I have to, again, I'll, I want to apologize if I sound rude. Uh, I, I have a hard time accepting the notion of a failed lean transformation. Some people say it's semantics. You know, I say potato, you say potato. <laughs> but I'm... I, I am of the I am of the mindset there has never been a failed lean transformation. There has only been a lean transformation that was abandoned because these items are universally true and they're universally applicable. It's just a matter of persistence and perseverance and always trying to go back and reflect, okay, that didn't work. Why did it not work? What will I do the next time? What, who was the person I should have talked to? What was the, you know, what was the methodology that I should have deployed? So it's, it's almost, it's not almost, it is learning to stay in a state of continual reflection. That's the real magic of this. And that's why, but people, and maybe again, this is the East and West thing, but people tend to, again, I say change fatigue 
or to become demotivated because they feel like, oh, when do I win? Well, every time you improve, you win. But -hmm. the reality of it is you can't become satisfied with that improvement. It's what's the next improvement? Well, to achieve the next improvement, then you have to practice reflection. And reflection means that we have to continually never be satisfied with what happened. So, you know, this it's truly a thinking way. It's a disciplined thinking way, and you have to learn it such that you you don't really see things as good or bad. You see things as how did I perform against the target, and what did I learn, and how can I get better, and mm. now what's next. Yeah, and, and actually on that note as well, um, what are some of the ideal behaviours that, that need to be seen uh, from leaders in order to um, you know, persevere through these transformations? The first and foremost is we never blame the people. The first and foremost is that, you know, of course we want to be passionate and of course we want to be, you know, have a sense of urgency and to persevere. And we always want to be thinking, how do I improve? But during that, we've got to make sure that when people, the people who work for us and the organizations we're responsible for, that they understand when we're asking those questions, it's because we want to succeed. We're trying to get better. And it's not that we want to uh, convey or make them feel like they failed or they underdelivered. And this is a very important part. And, and this is why the, the critical ingredient for a continuous improvement culture that I don't think gets enough, um, you know, I don't know enough headlines or we don't talk about it enough is really the importance of mutual trust and mutual respect. This idea of what is good for the company is going to be good for me. And what is good for me is going to be good for the company. And that, you know, that that's something that seems to be lost on people. Yeah, I think that's a, uh, a really good good way of putting it. And, and actually, um, you know, uh, having those as, 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 as guiding principles, as you mentioned earlier, with mutual trust and, and mutual respect um, between employee and employer, um, what are some of the, the, the best ways to, to take the step from manufacturing executive to, uh, you know, a lean versed manufacturing executive? Is it mentoring? Is it, uh, you know, training on the shop floor? I mean, in your opinion, what is that? It abs- there is no shortcut for spending time on the shop floor and just having discussions, one-on-one dialogue, challenging. Um, you know, one of the things that you just asked me, and I, and I didn't get back to it, so I, I want to go back to it, is that executive behaviors. The number one thing that I also tell executives is please ask more questions. Please stop giving the answers. All right. Please don't feel like you have to be the person who's always providing answers. Ask questions. Let people go through a process of discovery. Let people skin their knees sometimes. You know, Don't let them get permanently injured, but it's okay to let someone fall down and skin their knee and get a bruise. They'll learn from it. Perfect. And, and, and you know, for example, for a lean um, executive in an organization, uh, you know, sometimes from the community we hear that um, you know, senior leadership just aren't receptive to these kind of initiatives. Um, I mean, how did you engage and communicate with the senior leadership team at Toyota? So the, the best story that I can tell for that, the best approach was 
again, I was very fortunate. While I was at Toyota, I was I was an internal consultant, more or less, on three different occasions. One time, I was the productivity improvement group leader. First, the first time that that was done outside of Japan, and, and we did it in Georgetown. And uh, a, a good friend of mine was actually the manager and, and someone who works with manufacturing leaders, uh, Mike Hoseas. He was the he was the shop manager at that time. And uh, you know, we would go out and we would try to improve. Uh, and but the thing was is that we always went and tried to be of service right we'd always go out and try to ask the group leaders where's your number one process that's bothering you it wasn't that we came and we said all right we're here to improve productivity we're here to help you same thing happened when i was in the tps office when i was there i was a production or i'm sorry a project manager but my customers were all the production general managers so, the, you know, I would go and talk to them and tell I am here to help. And they'd look at me and they'd say something like the same way the IRS is here to help. And no, it's not the same way. <laughs> I'm not here to collect tribute uh, you know, or taxes. I am here truly to help. And, you know, same thing happened, though, when I was in operations management development division. That time I was walking with the presidents of the plants. But every time it was really what is the pain point? What is the problem we're trying to solve? How do we know it's a real problem? But if you can see, it was always about asking questions about how to help, where's the pain point, how do you know this is the right problem to be solving right now, how does this connect with our business plan? So it was really just a set of questions, and then the answers become obvious. Then you go and you do your activity. Really interesting. Did I an did I answer your question, or did I go out on the wrong direction? No, no, I, I think that was perfect. And and you know, we we all know about Toyota and the way they reward um, the people on the shop floor for suggesting that there are improvements in their, in their teams. Um, how did you see that process um, help to improve throughout the, your your time um, with TMMK? No, it was very. The, again, it got back to that. Uh, you know, the concept of what was good for me was good for the company and what was good mm. for the company was good for me. Well, without the ability to share those ideas and to try to implement them myself, those were just shallow words. But by having that system and a mechanism for me to actually be engaged and to actually improve my work site myself and feel that satisfaction, that demonstrated they really meant that. Yeah, and, and also with um, streamlining processes with, uh, with Toyota, did you ever feel, you know, scared to fail or scared to, like you say, bruise your knees? Um, or was it always instilled from the, from the ground up? Uh, you know, I, I'm kind of a blunt person or kind of a, a, a straightforward person. And I can tell you, I knew every day that I, when I went to Toyota, that basically they're Georgetown, that, that basically, as long as I didn't do anything that was illegal, break the law, something was just so egregious, you know, like purposely damage equipment or purposely, you know, damage the product, that those were really the only things, or again, you know, if I broke the law, you know, I, those were the only things that would cause me to lose my job. Now, I may have some uncomfortable conversations with my boss and my boss say, okay, what happened? And I said, 
well, I tried XYZ. Well, did you think XYZ was going to work? Well, of course I thought it was, or I wouldn't have tried it. Okay, explain to me, how did you set up your trial? Who did you communicate? What thought did you put into it? What was your preparation? But again, it was a series of questions to make me reflect. Then it was generally something along the lines of, did you learn something? Yes, I did. Okay, what do you need to implement your learnings? Okay, we would talk about that. Then it was over. Yeah, and, and, and we've I've, I've heard Mike, and you probably have as well, mention about how when they did start to do this, so there were sort of two camps of people, the people who wanted to listen and the people who, who didn't, and those people sort of just got shipped out or, or they were, you know, they left because it wasn't the right fit for them. Um, we have organisations today who, who are in these kind of positions. Do you think it's integral to, to have complete buying from the start or do you, do you need to work on that over a long period of time? No, I think you have to work on it over a long period of time. But I will tell you this, uh, and you know, there's a, there's a couple books that for anybody who's for, who wants to be a lean practitioner or to develop a continuous improvement culture, uh, you know, one is Henry Ford's book, Today and Tomorrow. I, I offer this book to everyone as something they should read because from there, the man was brilliant when it comes to supply chain optimization. He was way ahead of his time at the River Rouge plant, and it talks about that. But the other thing was how well he understood the importance of standards and that without any standards, there was never going to be any true improvement. So this, this book from Henry Ford, Today and Tomorrow. The second book I tell people to read is Taichi Ono's Beyond Large Scale Production. And again, in there, Ono talks about how there's a lot of, there's some several pearls of wisdom in the book. The first and foremost is you learn that it took 10 years for Toyota to implement the Kanban system. That the just-in-time, the pool system, mm-hmm. 10, 10 years across the whole company. There's people who think they can put it in in 10 days. All right, really? Good luck with that. The second thing is, is that he talks about either do all of this or do none of it. All right, so you have, but what he is telling people is that lean is a system. Lean is a way of thinking. Lean is not a toolbox. In no shape, form, or fashion is lean a toolbox. There are tools within the lean, underneath the lean umbrella, if you will, but lean only works when it's approached as a system, and it is a dynamic system. And so people have to learn how to operate within that, but you have to be committed to all of it. If you're not, you'll make things worse. If not, you'll come to the position, you'll say, oh, this lean doesn't work. This is, lack of a better term, this is stupid. I don't know why we do this. Well, the problem is, is that you know, weren't fully committed. But having full buy-in, you know, the usually people, if you're going to go for lean, there has to be a business need. There has to be a purpose. You need to be thinking about why am I doing this? Am I doing this just to copy someone else? So, or am I doing this so that I don't get left behind by a competitor who's done it? Or what is my true purpose? What am I trying to accomplish? That's really one of the nuances that differentiates who is successful with lean and who isn't. Those who start by thinking I'm doing this with a purpose versus those who do it because they heard someone else is doing it or they were directed to do it. 
perfect. And and yeah, I think we can move on to the quick fire round now. So this is where I will ask you five or six questions, um, and you have to do your best to answer them in no less than um, sorry, no more than thirty seconds. So uh, best. Oh work. goodness! <laughs> what happens if I go over thirty seconds? Am I um, penalized? No. <laughs> just kidding. It's just a little game of play. <laughs> no worries. Um, so on your journey to becoming a manufacturing executive, um, what was the one thing you felt was holding you back? My stubbornness, my ability to, to not see things as good or bad, just recognize them as is against the standard. I would always want to feel, you know, think about, oh, oh gosh, this is really good or wow, this is really bad. But really, all I should have done was to always say, where am I at in regards to the standard and what do I need to do next? Perfect. And, and, um, best book, Henry Ford or Tachiono? Uh, it's a tie. You need to read <laughs> them in tandem. Um, read what? Ford first, though. Read the Ford book, then the, the Ono book. the others some real pearls of wisdom in there I, I hope they send me a residual for promoting them just now <laughs> what is the one thing about manufacturing that you're most excited about today really is that it's still relevant and that uh, I can tell you in the United States there's a there's a resurgence of there's people recognizing oh we need the skilled trades we need people to who like to do things with their hands and that you know so i think we're on the verge of uh you know uh, well i can tell you there, there's excitement where i go there's new programs coming around the government like here there's work smart kentucky a program that governor bevins is promoting uh now now bevins owes me a residual so anyways but but for me it's an exciting time and you know the blending it with the internet of things the blending it with some artificial intelligence the blend but at the end of the day though still just the recognition that making things is is cool it's fun it contributes to mm. society definitely uh what is your favorite quote and how do you put that into practice mm. you know this will be a good one uh, or maybe uh, catch you off, but Genghis Khan was apparently uh, quoted oftentimes as saying, "Nothing is of any value until it's done." So the way I put it in practice is to make sure that you know, we are we done? Did we see it? Did we do everything we said we were going to do? Did we carry out our actions fully? Did we reflect? Are we sure that it will stay in place? Awesome. Um... Now, just to, a last thing to sort of close it off. You mentioned that you were one of the youngest team leaders at Toyota. So what advice would you give to, to new and aspiring manufacturing leaders who are looking to um, you know, emulate your career path? Honestly, stay humble and stay curious and ask lots of questions and be willing, be willing to make some mistakes and learn from your mistakes. And yeah, I'll leave the floor to you for a uh, for a closing comment as well. Uh, uh, again, you know whether you call it continuous improvement, whether you call it lean, you know whether you you put this under the banner of Six Sigma, uh, those things really do, don't matter to me. At the end of the day, what this idea of lean that was about is really a blend of capable people carrying out capable processes. 
that then give us you know repeatable and predictable results then we have our baselines for continuous improvement so really taking a more of a, a, a holistic look at it but always starting with the need for capable people and if you don't if you don't value people in the right way and see that they are you know the most important aspect and that they have untapped capabilities to be developed then this um, you know you won't be as successful as you could be Chuck Luttrell, a former plant executive with the North American leadership team with Toyota and owner and senior consultant with Bright Edge Consulting Group. Chuck, thank you so much for joining us. Um, that was great. Uh, Chuck, you, uh, you'll be heading up the Developing Lean Leaders Workshop, um, a roundtable for 35 senior lean leaders with no sponsors or salespeople taking place in Kansas City, uh, Missouri on November 9th. Chuck, um, thank you so, so much. No, it's my absolute pleasure, and I hope to see several people there. Mm-hmm.